Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Well, hello, everybody. Really glad that you've decided to join us again today for the second part in our series, This Changes Everything. Not sure about you, but it kind of feels like because I'm in my surroundings and they're just the same every day that all my days seem to be like merging in with one another. I keep on having to remind myself what day it is. Maybe you're the same. In fact, maybe you've even forgotten that next Sunday is Easter Sunday amongst all of the uh, yeah crazy situations that we're in at the moment. This changes everything. I wonder how you respond to change. For me, I quite like changes. I quite like exploring new things and new avenues and things like that. In fact, it was only the other day that I realized that in the last five years, I've actually lived with 10 different people, 10 different housemates. And maybe that probably says something more about my ability to wash up on time than it actually does around my enjoyment of change. But maybe you're like me, maybe you like changes, maybe you like the ideas of new adventures or new cultures or new circumstances. Maybe you're someone who likes changing jobs regularly or whatever it is, trying new things. For others of you though, perhaps change has more negative connotations to it. Maybe it brings around an uncertainty or a discomfort or an anxiety. But regardless of how we tend to treat changes, of course we know there are circumstances where change is something that's quite desirable and maybe sometimes change is quite undesirable. I mean, even if you're like me and you like change, there'll be certain things you go back to because they're familiar and they bring comfort. Whether it's a box set or whether it's a TV series or whatever it is, there are things that we tend to go back to just because it feels a bit comfortable. Maybe for you though, change is something that you don't like quite so much, but even you have to admit there are situations and times where change is actually something that's worth going for. I mean, there are things, whether it's a financial situation or a loneliness or an addiction or or whatever it looks like, actually for you, it brings about that phrase in your mind, something's just got to change. Something's just got to change because if it doesn't change, then it leads me to a place of uncertainty or it leads me to a place where I'm not really sure how I can move forward in this. Change is actually something that we all look for when situations get a little bit dark. I mean, even think about right now, what would people give in order to get the world back to where it was maybe a year ago or even just a few months ago? There are situations where things get dark, where we want to see change quickly. And we all know there's darknesses in the world. Let's not kid ourselves. There's big darknesses out there that we can all see, that we all see when we stick on the news, that we just think, man, something's got to change. Whether it's tragedy or man-made evil or whatever it is, there are times where we look at things and think, if things don't change, we just cannot move forward. In fact, maybe some of that darkness has entered into your life and it's brought uh, just destruction and chaos and it's disarmed you and you don't know how to move forward. Things have happened, whatever it is, whether it's a loss, whether it's uh, just a bombshell that's gone off and darkness has come in and you think something's got to change. The thing is with those dark situations is that sometimes that darkness isn't all just out there. It's not something that we're just a victim of we're all kind of responsible for bringing darkness into the world. It's not something we'd like to think about. We probably wouldn't normally use that language, but think about it. 
There have all been times in all of our lives where we have been responsible for a behavior, for a thought, for a response, for a decision, whatever it is, that's brought about a darkness into the world. And no matter what we do, we can't clear it up. It's out there. It's done. I mean, we can't get rid of that stain. It's brought about something that's brought about chaos and disorder. And that doesn't necessarily make us all bad people, necessarily, but it does create tension and it does create problems. And I don't mean for this to all sound like doom and gloom, but when we talk about darkness, when we talk about wanting to change the world, actually changing things often starts with changing some of the darkness within us. And it's with that in mind that we're going through a series, This Changes Everything. I mean, specifically, we're going through three chapters of a book written by a doctor called Luke, who's one of Jesus's followers, who decided to write an account of Jesus's life. And in these three chapters gives an event that we often recall as the Easter story. And maybe you know of the Easter story and that excites you. Maybe this is your first time really hearing it or returning to it and you're a little bit curious or maybe you've got some other thoughts around Jesus or Christianity and faith and you're rolling your eyes a little bit and that's okay too. We're really glad that you're joining us today. But in this account, it starts off these three chapters with a meal. In fact, it was a Passover meal, a meal that was done annually within the Jewish community to remind them of how their ancestors were freed from a slavery under the Egyptians. I mean, many of us know the story of Passover or Moses and the 10 plagues and Pharaoh and how they escaped through the Red Sea. And I don't think it's insignificant that the story kind of starts, or this part of the story starts, with Jesus having a meal that would remind people of a redemption, of a salvation, of a freedom, of the death of a firstborn son. I mean, that's where the name Passover even comes from. And yet after this moment, after this meal, once Jesus is arrested in the garden, and that's kind of what we looked at last week, he's arrested and he's taken to the authorities. He's taken to Caesar, the leader of Rome, who trials Jesus and actually kind of finds Jesus as innocent. And so he sends him off to Herod, Herod, who's the leader of the Jewish community. And King Herod sort of interviews Jesus and again, kind of doesn't find anything wrong with the situation. And it in fact actually unites, we read, the leaders of Rome and the leaders of the Jewish community that Jesus is innocent. And yet in spite of that, what perhaps unites them more is the wanting of peace for everything just to go away. And so as was tradition, Caesar takes out Jesus and he takes out another prisoner, Barabbas, a murderer, and he gives the people the option on who he's going to free and who he's going to crucify. And the shouts of the people call for Jesus's death. And so Jesus is handed over. He has a rod of wood on his back as he's told to march to the place of the skull where crucifixions would have taken place. And the story gets a little bit darker. This is what we read. Two other men, both criminals, were led out to be executed. When they came to the place of the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saves others, let him save himself, 
if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there held insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Last week, we looked at a story of how Jesus invited us into a new kind of living. Whilst the world would normally say that we should be thinking for ourselves uh, in a way that sort of says me first, everybody else second, Jesus offered a new way of living. He invited us into a story that said, no, not me first, everybody else first, me second. And the way in which Jesus dies shows that in the same way as he showed it when he lived. I mean, as he's going through the crowds with the uh, wood on his back, as he's going to the place where he's going to get crucified, look at what the people call out. In fact, there's three different types of people who call the same thing out. I mean, first of all, there's the Jewish people under Roman occupation who shout out to Jesus, hey, if you really are the Messiah, save yourself. And then the, the Romans say the same thing, the Roman soldiers who are in charge of implementing Rome across the land. Hey, if you really are who you say you are, if you really are a god, then do what we think gods would do, save yourself. And then as he's hanging on the cross, the criminal, one of the criminals next to him, shouts to him, hey, if you really are who people are saying who you are, then do what I would expect for you to do, save yourself and then save us, save me. You see, Jesus could have saved himself. He was the only one who could have saved himself. He was the only one who had the right to save himself. And yet he didn't. And yet everybody else, and me and you, if, if we were there at the time as well, we would expect anybody to save themselves if they could. And yet Jesus, in that moment, in the midst of an utter darkness, in the midst of an utter horror, decides to do something different. Jesus decides to sacrifice himself in order that there might be a way forward, that there might be a light that can be brought into the darkness of this world. And people begin to see it. Let's see what happens. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now notice again those three groups of people, the criminal, 
who lost at the hands of the Roman Empire, the soldiers who were in charge of implementing the Roman Empire, and then the Jewish people too. Each one of them who had told Jesus to save himself. What happens as Jesus dies, as Jesus is a light within this utter darkness, physically and spiritually, people start to see what's going on. I mean, first of all, it's almost as if it goes in reverse pattern. The other criminal says to Jesus, you know what, I deserve this. I deserve this and you don't. I recognise who you are. I recognise that you're giving innocent blood in order that there can be a way forward with God. Will you be with me? And Jesus says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And then what happens? The Roman centurion, perhaps the least likely person to get it, in the midst of this utter darkness, sees Jesus die as he calls up to heaven. And he says, surely this man is who he says he was, and he worships God. And then the Jewish people who looked out, who were calling to Caesar to see Jesus die, sees what goes on. And as they leave, they beat their breasts, almost in this grief. All these three people who expected a Messiah to do something, saw something far greater, saw a sacrifice, saw a light within the darkness that offers a way of forgiveness, offers a light that can shine bright within the darknesses of our own lives. Think about it for a second. What changes everything? What's going to change the darknesses in our own lives? Well, it's Jesus. It's forgiveness. I love the uh, imagery within this passage. I, I mean, think about it for a second. The darkness that covers the land as Jesus dies. This darkness, I wonder if in that moment, for those three hours, it started to click in the minds of the Jewish people who had just had their Passover feast the Passover feast that was going to remind them of the 10 plagues that were put on Egypt in order that they would find freedom, the penultimate one of which was a darkness that covered the land, a darkness that covered the land just before the death of the firstborn, a sacrifice that would allow God's people to be freed from captivity and slavery and darkness. And maybe for them, they started to recognize it, the death of this person who claimed to be the son, the only son of God that was going to make a way for freedom, going to make a way within the darkness. And then the curtain uh, tore into, the temple curtain tore into. This temple curtain was huge, just would come from top to bottom of the temple and it would be made of thick material. And the idea of this curtain was that it was going to separate the holy of holies. As the temple was built, it was this idea, this symbol of this is where the purity, the holiness of God dwells that no person can just be in contact with because it's so holy. And yet it's in that moment as Jesus dies that from top to bottom, uh, bottom it gets torn. And it almost gives this idea of a father God tearing his own garment in grief. I mean, symbolically and culturally, this is what a father would have done to show this utter grief. They would have torn their garment uh, in grief in order that they might expose themselves, show themselves, show their anguish. And it's almost as if God does that in his own temple. He tears his garment, showing this grief. And yet it's in that moment that he shows himself, that he makes a way that other people can access him. What changes everything? Forgiveness changes everything. Jesus's death changed 
everything. It showed that there was a light within the darkness, a different way, a sacrifice and order that we now no longer need to live in guilt. We now no longer need to live in shame. We now no longer need to live with the darknesses of our past. We no longer need to live with the identity of darkness that we've made for ourselves or live under. Instead, we can live in the light that God put within us from the beginning and intended us to live in with the gifts and skills and good personalities that God gave each of us. It changes everything. This was a light in the darkness, a light that was to shatter through brokenness, shatter through death, shatter through viruses, shatter through pain and offer a new way. And it was a light that was going to bring about a death that was more than a death. And we're going to find that out next week and how this whole thing comes together. But in this moment, it changed everything. Have you ever wondered why things seem scarier in the dark? It's as if Discomfort with the darkness is something that's somehow ingrained within us from birth. No parent ever teaches a child to be fearful when the lights go out, but it's only when they do that we wish that we check for monsters under the bed when mum and dad were still in the room. Whilst we might grow out of a childish fear of the dark, it's in the dark that the fears that we do hold seem at their biggest. It's in the darkness where noises seem louder than they are. And it's in the darkness where shadows play tricks on us. Where fears, restlessness and anxieties come out to play. Where our own imagination becomes our own enemy. You see, darkness is not just a physical observation. It's also an emotional and perhaps even a spiritual phenomenon. We all know of the darkness out there that grips nations and cultures and communities. And we all experience darkness in our own lives that we can't really do anything about. And we all have regrets about the darkness that we have been responsible for bringing into the world ourselves. Whilst darkness exists in different places using different voices, it's all related. Just a symptom of the same virus united by its ability to wield fear. But, have you ever wondered why things seem easier in the morning? Why as the sky gets brighter, the burdens become lighter? And why whilst we picture funerals in dark cloud, we picture weddings in the sun? Why things that seem big after the sun sets seem more manageable at sunrise? You see, light is not just a physical observation. It's an emotional and perhaps even spiritual phenomenon. We all know of a light out there that gives hope to nations, cultures and communities. And we've experienced a light and a joy and a hope in our own lives, finding its glow in the strangest of places and the places that we call home. And we know, or at least we once knew, of a light within us that was too contagious to stay with just us that we just had to share. You see, the cure to darkness when the lights go off is not simply less darkness. Darkness cannot exist by itself. The answer 
to darkness is light. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the Forge. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.